It's time for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken is a nationally syndicated automotive journalist and photographer who has been in and around the industry for over 30 years. So tune in for your fill of automotive information and entertainment with your automotive ringmaster, Ken Chester. Welcome to Roadworthy Drive. I'm your host and automotive tour guide for the hour, Ken Chester. So glad you could join us. Roadworthy Drive is the place to get your weekly dose of breaking automotive news of consumer interest, timely automotive technology updates, and so much more. An hour spent with me each week will make you a better consumer and a more aware driver. For those of you that have a question or comment, or you just want to add your voice to the conversation at hand, call or text me via the Roadworthy Drive line, that number, 872-222-9793. That number is good anytime. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If email is your thing, my address is ken at roadworthydrive.com. And yeah, I do check my email on a regular basis. In either case, I'd love to hear from you. Now before I rummage around for news tidbits from the parts bin, let me introduce you to the other members of the in-studio Roadworthy Drive crew. Our resident curmudgeon at the controls, my friend and Roadworthy Drive executive producer Jack, and currently armed and dangerous with the facts, holding it down at Mike 2, our very own sweet and sassy social media diva, Sasha. Howdy, my peoples. And they're quiet. Wow, really? I just can't Is get that it. what I'm getting now? I, I'm, get, I'm, I'm getting no love for my own crew? I, no. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, I am not the resident curmudgeon. <laughs> because uh, I have a very strong opinion mm-hmm. does not mean that I'm a curmudgeon. What? I'm still trying to get over the my peoples. Yeah, uh, so am I. <laughs> uh, I. Wait a minute. I got one question now. Okay. I want to know why the designated adult in the room gets to sit and we got to stand. I, can you answer that for me, Sasha? No, I well, can. Well, yeah. They got me a better chair. Oh. Oh, look at that. See, that, see oh, that's what that. happens. That's what, that's happens, what happens when he meets with the suits. See, yeah. I knew there was some other stuff going on. Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah, see, he meets with the suits. He gets a chair. We don't meet with the suits. We get to stand. I was actually going to say that because I have been standing, that su- certain someone decided to, you know, copy that he cat. had to stand. Right. So, yeah. yeah. No, they told me that's that the story. For, that's the story we'll go with. Yeah, Thank you. Is that Thank the story you. you're sticking with? Yep. <laughs> All right. All right. See, okay. But I what, see. I see how y'all are. What is in the parts bin this week? Okay. Buick. Okay. Um, here's the question. Wouldn't you really rather have a Buick? The name on your vehicle. To me, yes. The biggest thing that I don't like about what's on the vehicle is normally the dealer sticker. Ooh, ouch. Now, see, I I would rather have a completely decal-free vehicle. Well, now, you realize that is an option in a lot of European vehicles. Right. Where, no, you, can, where, where you can actually order the vehicle without any decals. Yeah. But then again, you have to remember with the European vehicles, you literally have to order the vehicle, period. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, yeah. I remember seeing pages and pages and pages of trim for just one Porsche model. Yep. Right. Yep. To get back to the, to the point at hand, Buick is actually taking the Buick name off of their cars in the United States starting next year. Will they still have the trim level uh, or the model? They will, but the issue is they'll still have the badge, the tri-shield badge on the vehicle. Right. Okay. It won't have the word Buick. Their point, well, you know, 
in the largest market in which we sell, which is China, by the way. All right. Uh, we don't put the Buick name on our vehicles. And their words were, and I quote, uh, global consistency. I like it. Which was Buick's spokesman. I'm sorry. A Buick is a Buick is a Buick that should have the name Buick on it because it's Buick. I mean, can't you just look at the picture and know that it's no, a Buick? Not no. always. Although they said, and this is Buick saying this, recent research showed that consumers do recognize the brand Shield badge yep. as a Buick. Yeah. Okay. But I'm a little old school. If I'm going to own a Buick, it needs That's to say Buick. It's redundancy. No. Uh, mm -hmm. Automakers have been doing that for years. Name yeah. and their little, I mean, Chrysler's have had their, shoot, divisions have had their own badges. Plymouth had theirs. You know and Chrysler had theirs and still had the name on the vehicle. You know what else they did for years? They didn't put in seat belts. Wow. I'm just saying wow. times change. No, 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 no. Change. That's federal law, sister. Now it is. Yeah. 1968 it was. Thank you. Yeah. Seatbelts have nothing to do with advertising. If I spent the money for a Buick, I wanted to say Buick. And I would have to agree with you. <sighs> okay. Moving along. <laughs> All right. Here's something that... That could be troublesome. Um, there is a bill in Congress that is to end the corn ethanol mandate oh. by 2030. Really? Oh. Yeah. They want to eliminate the amount of ethanol blended under the renewable fuel standard, which was passed back in 07, okay. uh, by reducing the amount of corn ethanol blended into gasoline by 2 billion gallons a year until the requirements eliminated in 2030. As a matter of fact, there are there's a move afoot even to uh, interrupt E15, which some people are arguing is kind of a forced way to meet the standard. Now, in case you don't know what E15 is, if you're not from the upper Midwest, it is actually a blend of 15% ethanol. I'm sorry. Yeah, 15% ethanol 85 to 85% gasoline. Gas. Um, the issue with that... Um, a number of vehicles, and it really depends on the manufacturer, uh, can or cannot run it because it's additional 5%. Now, up here in the upper Midwest, we've been running 10% ethanol for years yep. with no problems. You know, I've been running it for years, still continue to run it. I've never had a problem with it. 15% um, was designed to help ethanol producers. Now, there are advantages to the ethanol. Your vehicle runs cleaner. Mm -hmm. Your engine runs cooler. Yep. And it's renewable. Yep. Um, which these days, that part of it's less an issue uh, from getting rid of foreign oil because we've become, and we've reported it here, um, a, a leading producer again of crude oil. Okay, but by 2030, are we going to be in a position where gas and ethanol really may not begin to start mattering? I don't think it's going to be that quick. Okay. I think that you will see a sliding scale. And it has, and the ironic thing to do is that the oil producers are in the same boat. It's not so much eliminating ethanol, but crude oil producers, the irony of it is as we grow in production to become number one in the world, mm -hmm. we are actually working to use less of it. Well, which, which, this is the thing that surprises me because I, kn I know big oil. I've watched them through the years. Mm -hmm. And usually when they feel threatened... They go after the threat very, very hard. Yes, they do. And they're not going after the threat that hard they right are. now. They are, but technology has overtaken them. 
Congress, number one, and we will talk about this in a future show about the legislation uh, with regards to changing the mandate on fuel economy standards. But we're growing electric cars. We've got a tightening uh, emissions requirement, not just in the United States, but China and around the world. And what the automakers are trying to do is get set up so that, again, because they make their money on volume, they can spread the cost of all this technology over the greatest number of vehicles. Mm -hmm. So if they can get common standards, they can engineer for lowest possible cost per unit. And right now, China's pushing for stringent standards. So is the rest of Europe. The United States, to a lesser degree, pushing for stricter emission standards. That means that they've got to get away from the internal combustion engine uh, because it can only get so clean. And they're pretty clean right now. Right. The problem is, still with the stricter standards, not clean enough. And I was told 20 years ago uh, by a GM engineer, they said, we measured this stuff in Warren. This was in the mid-1990s. On some days, under certain conditions, the amount of pollutants are below our instrument's ability to measure it. Oh. We needed new tools because the, the EPA standards were stricter than that. This was 20 years ago. And now it's stricter than that. Yep. So I think that... That is something to be aware of, uh, mainly if you're from the upper Midwest or you're, uh, eth- if you're a corn farmer, that's something you might want to track because it, that has some real consequences. Now, oil is pushing on that, but they are pushing on several different fronts. Mm-hmm. So even though it may not be newsworthy, of course, you come here, we're the ones who are going to tell you. You're going to find out about it here. Well, yeah, and overall, with where we live, we have radio stations that do a lot of farm broadcasting mm-hmm. that – this stuff is really does matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me throw something out before we go to break right here. Would you believe uh, a Swiss police department in, in Switzerland is buying Tesla Model X uh, crossovers for police cars? What? No. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, their average diesel-powered patrol vehicle costs $97,000. Wow. These Model X P100Ds are planning to buy uh, configured for police use will be 147000 but they expect to save money, uh, the difference in diesel fuel. When we return, the Roadworthy Drive crew discusses the progress and current limitations of the self-driving revolution in light of reporting of the first recorded death of a pedestrian by a self-driving car in Arizona. You're listening to Roadworthy Drive. This is Roadworthy Drive. Most winners of major races use champion spark plug because champions have no equal for performance. Every major U.S. airline uses Champion because Champions have no equal for dependability. Every major maker of fire engines in the U.S. uses Champion spark plugs because you can count on Champions for quick starts. Volkswagen uses Champion spark plugs because Champions give real gasoline economy. Rolls-Royce specifies Champion spark plugs because Champions have no equal for quality. In fact, 
twice as many car makers the world over specify champion spark plugs. So for your next spark plug change, insist on champions. Yeah, Jack and Sasha unsupervised in the studio. What could possibly what? go wrong? There's something that's going to go wrong. You may not like it, but there will be nothing wrong with uh, it. The key word there is supervision. He is the adult, the in, adult the in the room. So uh, excuse what's the problem? Me, excuse me. Designated adult. Right. Thank you very much. Designated. There either, is. There's a difference. Okay. Either I'm the adult. Or I'm not. Welcome back to Roadworthy Drive. Mr. Chester, follow the script. Uh, what? Wait a minute. There's a script? Uh, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Some people just are no fun. Do your thing. Oh, my goodness. That's scary. <laughs> you might regret saying that. Uh, folks, if you're just tuning in, this is a special hour of Roadworthy Drive. If you couldn't figure that out already, we're just special all over the place in here. I'm your host for the hour, Ken Chester. Now, over the last several weeks... If you've been paying attention, you may have heard about a woman pedestrian being hit and killed by a self-driving Uber vehicle. That's in Arizona. Well, this is certainly not the start of some sci-fi filler in the realm of the rise of the machines. It has indeed forced a pause across the industry as industry leaders and federal safety officials investigate the accident to determine exactly what happened. Just so that we're clear. Even in a perfect world where there's a full implementation of self-driving vehicle tech that functions perfectly, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration estimates that the technology is not a 100% solution. So even if everything breaks right, you're not going to get, and fully implement it, you're not going to get a 100% reduction in traffic highway deaths, That's just true. so we're clear. Yep. The number is still impressive, though. They estimate a reduction in deaths from accidents of 80 mm-hmm. percent down. So that mean, but unfortunately, that means that between seven and eight thousand people a year will still die in traffic deaths. But that's down from between thirty five thousand to forty thousand currently. But I'm getting ahead of myself. OK, hang on for a second. Yeah, there is a question that I want to ask at this point. Mm-hmm. Are we in a position where something or someone, or a group of someones, are pushing the technology faster than the technology can be created. No. Here's why I'm asking that question, Ken, and I don't, don't necessarily agree with you. Mm-hmm. Everybody says, we have the technology, we can drive this car, it can drive itself. And then we have something like this happen. Okay. Which is a mistake. You know, we we I feel terrible for the for the lady and her family over this, but to me, we're pushing the technology faster than it should than it should be. Okay, but this, this should be two or three more years down the road after they've had some more time with it in testing it. Here's the thing: the problem is there's always uh, teething um, challenges. With any new technology. Yeah. Anything. I mean, the car with the internal combustion engine wasn't perfect when it was out there. Um, there's no yardstick to say, oh, well, two or three more years will be ready. What's going to happen and what is happening now is this is being developed in the vacuum of leadership by the feds. Now, NHTSA, which is the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, can only go so far. And they've issued 
their guidelines. But remember, their guidelines, they're trying to herd the industry in that direction. They've asked Congress for some additional oversight capability, but they're at the edge of what they can legally do. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think it's necessarily always a bad thing that Congress, you know, takes a little time. I mean, things are changing so rapidly. Should there be guidelines? Maybe called on the carpet? We will talk in the next segment about the specifics of Uber's little experiment. When I dug into it, it seems Uber, apart from the other people who were doing this, mm-hmm. had some unique problems that they weren't addressing. Oh. Some very specific problems they were not addressing. Okay, so well, let's... So, so let me let me answer your question, and I'm going to answer it very narrow. Okay. In Uber's case, in a in a uh, regulation light environment like Arizona, mm-hmm. which doesn't even require certain basic information that even California requires uh, for the vehicles they have on the road, mm-hmm. are not required in Arizona. Like for example, how many times in autonomous mode did the driver have to take over? Not disclosed in Arizona. It's not legally required, but it is in California. Let me give you an example really quick. Okay. According to reporting, Waymo, which has millions upon millions of miles, they were first. They will tell you, according to their California filings, that they get roughly 5,600 miles per event. In other words, of the 63 events they had covering so many millions of miles, uh, averaged out to be about 5,600 miles uh, before a driver had to take control for some reason or okay. a driver control event. Waymo? I'm sorry, Uber? 13 miles. Yeah. Let's- I'd say they've got a bigger problem. Sasha, you were going to say something. I, w- I think that we're losing the topic here. I mean, it's there's going to be accidents. There's going to be things that just glitch. There's going to be circumstances that arise that... It just happens, and that's why they're called accidents and not on purposes. Are we getting Are we getting to the point now of where they were back in the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s with the airplane and their crashing? And we're just going to have to come down to a simple reality of, you know. It's you, trial and error. You, let, you may be in that position. Let me cut to the quick. Okay. Automotive vehicles were on the road for almost 70 years before Congress required seatbelts. So basically what you're saying is we're not going to catch everything the first time. No. No. It took um, a Highway Safety Act passed by Congress in 1965. Cars have been on the road for over 60 years in ever-increasing numbers. Before we started getting serious about emissions, before we started getting serious about safety, um, the motor vehicle as we know it today is probably one of the most heavily regulated devices that we interact with on a regular basis. Um, It is full of regulation. Um, So my question is, uh, compared to what? You know, is it too fast? We may need to look at what and do some better requirements of certain things. We'll talk about that in the next segment. But I don't agree that we're going too fast because, again, against what? So when I come back, a conversation continues about current self-driving technology, just where we at anyway. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is heard exclusively on the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. This is Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. 
Welcome to the second half of this special hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm your not-so-humble host, Ken Chester. Amen. Oh, Amen. wow. Amen. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Haters in studio. No, just acknowledgers of truth. Thank ah, you. Whatever. Speak to the hand. Anyway, folks, thank you for dropping in. I know you're with me. In light of a recent death of a pedestrian by a self-driving car in Arizona, I wanted to dedicate this hour of our show to take a deeper look at the self-driving industry as a whole. Now, those of you that are not watching us live on YouTube uh, missed a very spirited conversation with respect to what is an autonomous car exactly. Uh, Jack was questioning whether or not uh, the technology is being pushed too far. Sasha and I are wondering if the average consumer, the average motorist, even can identify it. And do you realize, you know, shocker, not to listeners of this show, but to some people, shocker, Tesla's autopilot is not full autonomy. Cadillac's Super Cruise is not full autonomy. We know that, but they don't know it. Exactly. Spoiler alert, it's also not a self-driving car. Thank you. Sure ain't. (laughs) Now, before I even continue to that subject, and we're going to get deeper into it, Hey, be sure to check out our show website. That's roadworthydrive.com. Listen to past shows. Watch video of our weekly in-studio antics, debate, conversation, and downright throwing things, maybe, and more. The website is also a great place to find out what we're talking about between shows in the universe of social media. Sasha is our social media diva who keeps things fun and informative during the week. Between shows, see how she keeps the social in our social media you will be glad you did. Sasha, have either one of us thrown a shoe yet? I, I mean... Isn't that known as the bush treatment? No, no, no. Yes. <laughs> uh, someone who is standing next to me yes. tried to one time, and then we stopped him because we were warned of the stink that might come off. Wow. With the footwear removed. And can't move on. Wow. <laughs> in the words of the designated adult in the room, uh-huh. I got nothing. D- I know. Not a thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Conversation for this segment is focused on where the technology is currently. We've reported here, for example, that there are 300 firms and companies around the world working on this right now. They're spending billions of dollars. One example, General Motors bought an outfit called Cruise Automation for a billion dollars. Cruise Automation hadn't even been in business five years just to get the technology they knew. Ford did the same thing. A lot of automakers, to ramp up quickly, are buying companies because they're buying the talent. They're buying what these engineers know and their experience. And it's a quick way to help infuse that knowledge into their legacy systems. So a lot of that's going on. But I wanted to talk about Uber in particular. Because as I started looking at this, the closer I looked the more it seemed that Uber had some very special problems of their own. Um, let Let me lay the groundwork here. Okay. We know, you should know, right now today, federally, there's no federal government standards for this stuff. NHTSA has issued guidelines and security, uh, cybersecurity guidelines, but as far as rulemaking, because of how long it takes to go through the rulemaking process, yep. we're not there. So you've got states, uh, everything from New York and their one-year experiment to uh, California with their documentation, which we covered here, 
to uh, Arizona, which uh, they that the that they like because it is a lightly regulated environment. Air quotes, by the way. Yeah, air quotes. That means we can do what we want. Okay, so what kind of issues were Uber having? Well, I'm going to get to that, but I want to I want to still paint this. Okay, I'm still painting on this canvas, different canvas. Yeah, that. At, at. It is the future at, of mobility, though. Let it go. <laughs> if I got to let it go, you got to let it go for now. We really need We're not talking about that right now, Sasha. Alphabet's Waymo self-driving car unit has underscored a report that its autonomous vehicles have now logged 5 million miles in real-world testing and billions more in computer simulation. Now, GM's cruise automation we just talked about highlighted its decision to teach its driving system. That's basically artificial intelligence. AI plays a big part in this stuff because it's machine learning. Right. It's not just programming it. It's introducing the machine to situations where it learns from the situations it it encompasses. Now, how do you go and guarantee that you have a technology that the probability of fatality one per per hour – I'm sorry. Let me read this again. How do you go, this is the question, and guarantee that you have a technology that the probability of fatality per one hour of driving is 1,000 times better than a human? That's where you're asking. And that's where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The greater risk for the industry is that if people feel it is unsafe or the testing is unsafe, you will see a real backlash against this technology. You notice that the problem did not happen with an automaker. No, correct. However, the backlash has already been happening this week. Mm, until you see regulation at the federal level, eh, so much. Let me talk really quick in the time coming up to the break about Uber's special problems. Uber's cars were having trouble driving through construction zones and next to tall vehicles like big rigs. And the human drivers had to intervene far more frequently than drivers of competing autonomous car projects. Waymo said at its test in Rose in California last year that its cars went an average of nearly 5,600 miles before the driver had to take control from the computer to steer out of trouble. As of March, Uber was struggling to meet its target of 13 miles per intervention in Arizona, these are private documents obtained by the New York Times. This is not public information. Which leads me to the question, how did they get them? E- yeah. uh, well, they didn't say that. They're company documents obtained by the New York Times and two, familiar, two people familiar with the company's operations in the Phoenix area, but were not permitted to speak publicly about it. Yeah, I have a few. They were sure. under pressure to impress the new boss. So they took shortcuts. Oh my goodness! Uh, they I, used to have two drive. They used to have two people in the car, one to m- take over in case the computer had a problem. Right. The other one to to check the computer and see what the computer the was doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uber trying to speed it up went to one, which also added. You know, if you've got someone else in the vehicle, you can at least talk to them. Stay awake. Yeah, yeah. Some Uber folks actually got fired for not doing their jobs. They're supposed to have the hands hovering over the steering wheel. Well, and if you look, I only saw part of the video that they showed of the guy behind the, sitting in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. I couldn't watch the whole thing. Uh, this is what it's supposed to happen. It also appeared that the driver's hands were not hovering above the steering wheel, 
which is what drivers are instructed to do so they can quickly retake control of the car. Uber rules. Uber was having some problems. Um, in the next segment, in our last segment, I'm going to talk about where we go from here because I want to talk about what some of the auto other automakers are doing as a result of this. In one case, Toyota pressed pause, but not all of them did. <laughs> and that's something to know. Um, when we come back, we take a peek at where the industry goes from here, now and in the future. This is Roadworthy Drive. Drive with Ken Chester is America's premier automotive news and information talk show. This is one of those shows you're going to want to tell your friends that they need to go to the website. They're going to need to want to hear it again. And more importantly, they're going to want to watch the video of behind the scenes uh, for the conversations we've been having during the breaks. If you're just tuning in, uh, this is the last part of this, this special hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester, your host, and we're focused on the self-driving vehicle industry in the light of the first recorded death of a pedestrian by a self-driving car. Uh we are a passioned bunch here at Roadworthy Drive. No. What? Uh, we've had a lot of conversation between the breaks uh, with respect to regulation, yes, no, restricting the industry, um, how can we reduce deaths, you know, a lot of things. And it's unfortunate that we don't have the fortune, the time to cover it all. Uh, but I will encourage you, we do produce a... Uh, video on YouTube as we record the show. Um, we call it Roadworthy Drive Behind the Scenes. This is one of those times that to get the full um, appreciation for both our passion and our concerns about uh, the autonomous driving industry, you're going to want to watch our YouTube video. You can find it, and you'll be able to find it later this week uh, on roadworthydrive.com. Uh, Trust me, you're going to want to watch it. Um, the question now with the time we have remaining is where do we go from here? My larger question is if anything, this Uber accident calls into question and, and I have to ask what good is a safety driver, even if they were totally attentive, monitoring a vehicle at speed, assume, barring a Full cascading failure of the system that just died completely. Barring that, what good are you if it, in this case, maybe failed to read? 40 miles an hour. It's like that. By the time you processed it, you would have already hit whatever it is you were going to hit or the incident would have already happened by the time you figured out what to do. Well, and see, it's one of those things where is it a liability issue? I mean, if they do they need that person behind the wheel? For, you know, for yes. lack of a better word, as a fallout person. I uh, mean, in this kind of situation. As a scapegoat? Yeah. Yes. But it seems to me that Uber is backing the the gentleman that was behind the wheel. Yeah, but it's not just an Uber problem. Every single one of these companies, mm -hmm. that whether it's California or Arizona or somewhere else, yeah. if there are vehicles on the road at this point, 
because technically, um, unless you're in Arizona, um, autonomous vehicles are not legal per se. In our state, they're not legal or illegal. However, in our state, if you're sitting in that driver's seat, in that vehicle, in autonomous mode, you're you have right. an accident, it's your problem. Okay. Now, here's, here's the other question. If and Guys, please correct me if I'm wrong. What I saw this week was the, the police investigation has already decided yeah. that it wasn't the driver's fault. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't the car's fault because nobody could read it in time. Boom, there she was. Right. And I mean, I mean, I don't want to be the person to say this, but she was walking at night in dark clothes in an open road with, I didn't see any light. Outside of the crosswalk. Outside of the crosswalk. I mean, can we just really just acknowledge that? I'm going to wait for the National Traffic Safety Bureau's report. Okay. The feds have experience at recreating this stuff. Right. They're coming to see. They don't take a lot of automobile accidents, per se. They've had a special interest in uh, incidents involving semi-autonomous or fully autonomous vehicles. Mm -hmm. I would love to see, based on their deep expertise and many years of experience, what they have to say. I still am going to repeat something I said during the break. I cannot wait to hear how the computer registered that whole situation. You may never know because in Arizona, they're not required to tell you. No, they're not. But I am I am very, very interested. I doubt very much. The only way you're going to get close to that is the NTSB's report. That's about as close as you're going to get. Uber's not going to disclose it. Um, talking about other companies, where we go from here. Okay. Nissan said they don't plan to change a thing. Um. Honda said they're not changing either. Now, it's important to note Honda's system is different from what Uber uses. Toyota, on the other hand, took a pause. Um, they do some joint work together. Uh, I thought that uh, Toyota's ex reason was interesting. They said they halted their automated driving test in the United States this week because of, and I quote, the possible emotional effect on its test drivers. Aww. Not even making this up. That's... That's actually kind of sweet. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I mentioned that Honda's system is different. Um, Nissan plans to equip 20 models in 20 markets with autonomous driving tech by 2022. I'll let that settle. Okay. The technology is going to be there, but it may or may not be used. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Uh, may I also mention... That since uh, October 2016, every Tesla off the line has a fully autonomous That's technology yeah. buried in the car, not activated, not activated. So we're clear. I can't say this enough. Auto Tesla autopilot is not full autonomy. It is not a self-driving car in a strict sense nope. that it has the ability to act on its own without driver input. It's not. Never was designed that way. Uh, marketing got ahead of itself. Yes, yep. it did. Yeah, I blame that on marketing. That's what happens when things go too well. Is that kind of like ludicrous being? Oh, did you have to? I did. Did you have I'm to? I'm just saying. Did you have to? I mean, not going to do it. Thank Aww. you. Thank you. But it was a problem. Um, well, the thing is, I'm still trying to get him to buy my lunch. There you ah. go. There you go. See? 
BMW said they're not changing anything either. Did Ford and GM say anything? Uh, no. And we haven't heard from uh, Sasha's favorite, Fiat Chrysler. <laughs> I don't think you're going to hear oh. anything from them. Oh, okay. No, no, no. We did hear. Did we not? Did we not cover that? I love that he was just like, you know what? We underappreciated the value of electric vehicles and the self-driving technology. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like that was just. Is that what Sergio said this week? That's exactly. Uh, what translation. Is. We ain't got the billions of dollars to play catch-up. No. Which is what I've been saying from the get now for almost two years. Yep. It takes, to be a player in this game, bear in mind, GM plunked down just for cruise automation, just that piece of it, a billion dollars, just for that. Not to mention everything else they're doing. Well, folks, we've come to the close of another hour. (laughs) Be sure to tune in next time when we do it all again. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive crew, thanks for listening. This has been Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.